Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Chapter 3 is where we are. We're going through the Ephesians chapter by chapter, noting key words that are what we call identity markers for believers throughout this epistle. Today, we talk about the fact that we are heirs. We have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Here's the key concept today. In Christ, you have a glorious inheritance. Chapter 1, we talked about the fact that Paul calls us who know Christ the saints. That means we are set apart for a noble purpose in Him. Chapter 2, we notice that Paul calls us the saved. It means we are rescued by the power of Jesus Christ. And today, He will call us heirs in Christ. We will inherit something. We are inheritors. So it brings up the issue of our estate, our will, our estate plan. I wonder if you're an adult here today, do you have one? Have you made some preparation for how you will leave your belongings to those you love who will live on after you in this life? Some of us don't like to think about things like that. We try to pretend that we're going to live in this physical life forever, and so we never have to get our mind around that. And others of us like to think about it and make adjustments and plan for it uh, all the time. Like like the man I read about who was uh, uh, had a hearing problem, and he went to the doctor, and because of uh, recent up you know recent techniques and surgery, he had an advanced surgery and a new set of hearing aids, and his hearing increased exponentially. Now the doctor said, "I want to see you in a month to." check and make sure things are still going well for you. And so a month later, he he came back. And offhandedly, the doctor said, well, uh, I imagine your family is pleased with how much your hearing has improved. And the man said, well, I haven't told him yet. I'm just sitting and listening to the conversations. I've changed my will three times in this past month. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're, have, you've fantasized about a great inheritance coming your way. If only there was a long-lost family member. I mean, nobody that we know, you know, but somebody that is in some obscure branch of the family tree, in some other country that we never even heard about these people, and a letter would come in the mail one day and tell us that this person that we didn't even know existed has left us a pile of money or a castle. Wouldn't that be cool? Or a villa on Capri. Well, daydream no more because you have a great inheritance in God. So chapter 3, verse 1, you follow along as I read. Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and do you notice that he doesn't really finish that sentence? He's so excited about what he's going to say, he just kind of drops it and moves on. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus." 
Paul says, there's a mystery that has now been made known to me, a mystery that I'm able to talk to you about. Now, I love mysteries. I grew up hearing mystery stories. My mother would regularly read Sherlock Holmes stories to us in the evenings. In fact, still to this, time, to this day, from time to time, I read through the entire canon of, of Sherlock Holmes stories. I, I, love, uh, I love those stories. I love the new and creative ways that the Sherlock Holmes characters are being depicted in movies and in TV shows, kind of tweaking things a little bit. That's what we think of when we hear the word mystery. We think of the whodunit. We think of the spy thriller where there's something that needs to be discovered. There's a puzzle. Something needs to be figured out and solved. The mystery. That's the way we think of the word. But that's not the way Paul is using the word here in, the, in, in this passage. In fact, he's using the word mystery very much more along the lines of the way we would use the word secret. There's something that was unknown, formerly not comprehended, but is now being made known. A secret is being revealed. And he's saying there is a secret in the mind of God, unknown to his chosen people for the thousands of years of their relationship. And part of that secret is now coming out, and that is that the Gentiles are able to inherit the promised blessings of God. He says it in verse 6. The mystery is that, though, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now, in reality, that mystery, that secret, has been hinted at all along the way. It's not a really well-kept secret. When you go back and read through the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, you can see that God always had the whole world in view. In Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The blessing that comes through Abraham's seed, Israel, was always meant to spread out to the whole world. It's always there. It's reaffirmed in the prophets. It's seen over and over again in the Scriptures. But that's only part of the mystery. That's the not well-kept part. However, the heart of the secret, the mystery, is this. But Paul is able to demonstrate now that when Gentiles come to faith in Christ Jesus, the one true Messiah, they are brought into equal standing with the Jews who also trust Him as Lord and Savior. You see, the, the, the Jewish mindset was always, yeah, it's for the whole world, but we're first. But, but we're, we're a little bit above. We're, we're a notch ahead. And the real secret, says the Apostle Paul, is that God is doing a new thing. God is creating a new body, a new family, a new people. Other, where, other places in Scripture, Paul says he calls it the true Israel, the Israel of God. And in this new family, this, this new uh, thing that God is doing, ethnic divisions are wiped away. In fact, the identity point of your life is not where you come from, not your background. It's your place in the family of God. In Galatians, Paul says it this way, chapter 3. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, there's our word again, heirs. 
We are inheritors. When we come to faith, this is the mind-blowing mystery. In this new people that God is constructing, this new family that Jesus calls His church, we are the church, and we are all heirs and will inherit the blessings that God has in store. Paul says in Galatians 3.26, we are all sons of God. Now, when you hear that language, don't think that Paul is some kind of a woman hater who's against status for women. That's not it at all. He does, however, use male language, and he uses male language there for a reason, even though some newer translations are translating that word not sons but children. But the word sons, the way he writes it to the Galatian church, would have been great news for the ladies in that congregation. Because in the first century, as a son, it meant you are an inheritor. For sure, legally, absolutely, you can bank on it, you're going to inherit something. See, slaves are not heirs. Sons are heirs. Gentiles are not heirs to the wealth of Jewish families. Sons are heirs. And even daughters in this culture were not heirs. Sons were heirs. So when Paul says to a mixed congregation, men and women together, you are all sons, the message is you are all going to inherit from your heavenly Father. All of you are heirs. And so go back to Ephesians 3. There's two questions that are meant to be asked. And that is, what do we inherit, and when do we inherit it? In 1 Peter chapter 1, he gets at the when part. He says, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. The fulfillment of our inheritance, the totality of it, is going to be ours in glory in heaven. Now, on a human level, in a human inheritance, we inherit from our relatives when they die. But God is never going to die. In a spiritual way, our spiritual inheritance comes to us when we die. But it's in its fullness. Part of that inheritance also comes to us now, right here, right now. So the answer to the question, when do we inherit, is both then and now. And the answer to what we inherit takes a little time to explain. And part of what we inherit is this. I'm going to notice four things. You inherit, first of all, freedom. In this life, right here, right now, you inherit freedom. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are slaves to our sin nature. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't have the power to truly choose rightly the way that God wants us to live. We take a stab at it. We take a run at it. But we're really not the kind of, in a kind of position to achieve what God wants us to in terms of the way we live. In the setting of this verse, Paul, uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus in John's gospel is in an argument with the Jewish leaders. And he has told them just before that that his truth will set them free. And their response is this, we don't need you. We're already free. We're free because we're the sons of Abraham. And because we are Abraham's seed, and as Abraham's seed, we don't need any freedom that could be offered from you. But Jesus turns to them and says this, anyone who, slays, who sins is a slave to sin. And sin is a part of all of our experience. 
And in this state outside of a relationship with Christ, we are in slavery. But freedom is possible, he says. Freedom from the domination of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the consequence of sin. Because we have a new reality, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives sets us free. We ha- secondly, we inherit a family. We become a part of this people, this new mysterious entity that Jesus calls the church. It's been kept a secret for so long, but now when we say yes to the love of Christ, he makes us members of this new family. And I wonder here in the local church, I wonder if we actually appreciate the blessing that comes to our lives very practically because we're a part of a church family. Sometimes I I don't understand really how people outside of a church family can cope with the complexities of life, the disappointments that come. They're, They're alone. But we have a network. We have people with skills. There's skills that I don't have, but somebody around me will help me out in the church. There's things that I don't know, but somebody around me will teach me. There's people that will lend a hand, people that will sacrifice their time to help the ease the strains of my life, as the way I live my life. And as we're part of the church family, that's, that's what we do for one another. Sometimes it's as basic, as basic as knowing someone in the church family who has a business that can do something that I need done, and I have confidence that I'll get an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. That's important in today's culture. Or it may be that I'm taking advantage of the assistance that comes my way from something like the Helping Hands of Quail Handyman Ministry. Today you can start, stop out in the foyer and, and talk to the representatives of that ministry. And, and they will invite you to email them the, 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 the tasks, the jobs that maybe are a little bit beyond your skill set, but that you need done. Now they can't do everything. They, you know, there are limits, but they will come and evaluate and we can be of an assistance to one another. Sometimes it's as easy as sharing with the difficulties of raising kids, asking and answering questions to one another about the things that we face as we are raising a family. Is this normal? Is this right? What should I do about this? And being in a group that helps us be supported there. Sometimes it's knowing I'm being prayed for when I'm ill or knowing we're being prayed for when grief comes our way. But there is a blessing in the family network that comes. It's part of our inheritance in Christ. And thirdly, we inherit purpose. Here's the thing. You are part of what God is doing in the world. You are part of what God is doing in the world if you know Christ as Savior. Part of that inheritance, Jesus calls it his kingdom. In other words, we are part of a kingdom advancing what God wants advanced in the world and pushing back the powers of darkness. And all of us who know Jesus by faith have inherited a role in that kingdom. In other words, we, we are, we're in a royal kingdom where we have royal titles. We're going over these titles. And with those titles come royal duties, just like we think about the kingdoms of the world. I have some royal duties because of who I am in this kingdom. And those royal duties for each of us are unique. There are some things we do all together, but there are some things that really only you are meant to do because God has designed you to do it, and he calls you to do it. And we talk about that regularly here at Quell because I believe this is, the, this is the secret to the joyful Christian life, and that is understanding the way that God has wired you. We call that your divine design. 
Understand the spiritual gifts he's given you. Understanding your own personality. Recognizing the experiences that you have gone through in life. All of them, good or bad, can be harvested for the now and for the future in the way God will use you to bless somebody else. Recognizing that we have passions and understandings and levels of education and all of this together makes us who we are. That's the divine design. It's a great exploration and so important to us that we have a seminar that we, we invite you to go through that teaches this. And it's a, it's a fun seminar because we're learning about the way God has wired us. It's called the Divine Design Seminar. It's coming up in September. Listen for the announcements. But at the end of that, you're meant to ask this question. Given the understanding of who I am in Christ, what does a person like that do for God with joy? That's the key. What, what can I do for God where I will be joyful in the doing and he will be glorified? Why? Because I'm a part of what God is doing in the world. I inherit that right here, right now. I have purpose. But there's one thing that we may be surprised to hear about, and that is we also inherit suffering. Now, your first reaction is, no, I don't want that one. You can keep that. But Paul is very clear that part of what we inherit is going to be pushback from the world. Listen, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, he talks about it at length. He says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Listen to Paul's logic here. He says, you are co-heirs with Christ. It means you're going to share with him in all that is his, but part of what is his is suffering. See, Paul recalls the life of Jesus. He remembers the pattern that Jesus lived in his life, and he knows that there were those who were against him. There were times of suffering, and the pattern is experiencing that, and then glory, glorification. And he expects that the followers of Christ will have lives that mirror the life of Christ. Part of what we will have is he calls suffering. In a sin-torn world, Jesus didn't escape it, and we're not going to be able to escape it. So don't be surprised when your faith is mocked. Don't be surprised when your standards are ridiculed. Don't be surprised when you try to do that which is kind and it is rebuffed. Don't be surprised that when we start staking out a presence in the school across the street and saying to those people, we are here from Quail Lakes Baptist Church, we simply want to bless you and invite you to, to not only receive these things that we give you, but hear a little bit more about the gospel. Don't be surprised if people don't want that. Because part of what we inherit is the pushback that Jesus himself experiences. But as we experience that, Paul says in Romans, it's an indicator that we're still on that same pattern and the rest of the inheritance will be ours. What is that? That is glory. It will include glory. Chapter 8, verse 18 of Romans says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, that's the fulfillment that Peter talked about. That's what's coming long term. And I want you to pay attention to the words. He says, the glory that will be revealed in us, not to us. See, it would have made sense if he would have said, nothing can compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to you. I would have said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to be with God. 
I'm going to be with all the saints. I'm going to see the heavenly realms. Surely all this will be glorious to me. That sentence would have made perfect sense if he said it that way, but it's not what he said. He said the glory is going to be revealed in you. What does that mean? In you. Glory. See, here's the thing. We use the word glory two different ways. In one way we use that word, we mean fame by it. We mean reputation. Somebody who's achieved greatly is glorified. He gets into the hall of fame, you know, he's, he's famous. We use the word that way. And if you're a Bible reader, you also see that we use the word glory to mean radiance, a shining, like, for instance, at the end of the book of Exodus and the tabernacle is built and the glory of the Lord hovers over the tabernacle and the radiance, the brightness of that was so bright that the people could not enter. Moses could not enter the tabernacle for a period of time because the, the glory was so uh, intense and shining. So we, we use those, that word glory in both those ways. And in some way, that connects to us in terms of the life that will come. How do we figure that out? Well, I'll tell you, I'm greatly blessed on this topic by the thoughts of C.S. Lewis in a sermon that he preached in 1941. He, at first, he kind of pushes back against those ideas that we will inherit radiance and fame. I'm going to quote now. He says this. The desire for fame seems to me to be a competitive passion, and therefore it's more worthy of hell than heaven. And as for the other, who wants to be a kind of living electric light bulb for all eternity? But then he changes his tune. He says this, but the fame is fame with God. It's appreciation by God. It is the well done, good and faithful servant. And I suddenly remember that no one can enter heaven except as a child and nothing is so obvious in a child as its undisguised pleasure at being praised. And the other sense, brightness, luminosity. God knows that we don't want to merely see beauty. We want to be part of beauty. We want to become part of it. See, you believer in Jesus Christ, one day you'll be a part of what makes heaven beautiful. Those who have gone before us in the Lord, right now they are a part of what makes heaven beautiful. And one day we will receive the praise of our heavenly Father, famous in His sight. All that is coming in our inheritance. But there's even more, one more step in that fulfilled inheritance. We inherit God himself. See, let me put it this way. I am my father's heir, but when that inheritance comes for me, I will not literally inherit him. I will inherit the things that he left me. But in Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, Peter refers to us, followers of Jesus Christ, as a royal priesthood. And it makes our minds think back to the priests of the Old Testament. And remember the Levite tribe, the, the tribe of priests. They as, they, as the children of Israel went into the promised land, they did not inherit any land. They inherited God himself. Deuteronomy 18.2, the Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. 
See, understand that in ancient Israel, inheritance was a big thing. You inherited land, and the land stayed in the family because the land was your future. The land was your stability. The land was your hope. And all, the, all these things for the future rested in the fact that we have this inherited land. But God says of the Levites, of the priests, all of those blessings come to you in me. Think of it this way. The other, uh, other tribes got the gifts but the priest got the giver. It means we're looking forward to one day in total fulfillment, a perfect relationship with the giver of all the gifts. We inherit God himself as his priests, a perfect uh, union, a relationship of love, and it will work itself out this way in the eternal state in Revelation 21. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the picture of that perfect relationship with God, that harmony that was found in the Garden of Eden that will be restored, God and us, in the fulfillment of our inheritance. So now, sure, we share in the difficulty. We share in the suffering. But there will come a day when God will share all that is His with us because you who are saved are the heirs of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we we covet these promises. We rejoice in these truths. So often we don't think about who we really are and what we really have in you. But Lord, you've called us to live our life in a sense looking at reality with two lenses, always remembering and noticing what is, but recalling what will come. And in both of those lenses, Lord, we inherit much from you. So thank you. Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for planning this all out. Thank you for loving us and being our Father. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.